Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here, ready to kick off another awesome day of impact. And what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of set us up for groups. So in just a minute, we're going to head to our community groups and kind of keep talking about some of the stuff that we're processing and working through. And so in our first couple sessions together, Thursday night and last night, we really just wanted to bring out this idea of what does it mean to be a stranger in exile? What does it, what does it actually mean? What are we talking about? And in Eric just so brilliantly just laid out from God's word that to follow Jesus is to be a stranger in exile. Like, you can't follow Jesus and not be. To follow Jesus means that you're going to live a different life. You're going to look a different way. It's going to stand out from the world. And even last night, just really challenged, are we going to bow the knee to the God of this world, to the God of this culture? Are we going to bow the knee to the one true God? And all of us have that decision in front of us, not just in a one-time moment, but that's a daily decision that we have to make. And so we've been talking about what, what does it mean to be a stranger in exile. And today, we're kind of taking a turn and taking a shift as we go in our community groups in a minute. We really want to begin talking about, okay, if we know what a stranger in exile is, it's someone who's living for a different king, living for a different kingdom, living in a different way to follow Jesus, how do we do that? What does that look like? And, and so starting right now through the rest of the day, we're going to be looking kind of at the early church and looking at, okay, here's some of the defining markers of what it means to be a stranger in an exile. What, is it, what are we to love as strangers and exiles? What are we to pursue as strangers and exiles? How do we do that in the world we live today? How do we do that as men? How do we do that as, as women? And so it's gonna be an awesome day. I'm so excited for us to be able to dive into this together. And I'd love to start with this idea this morning before we head to our groups, and that strangers and exiles love the church. One of the defining markers of strangers and exiles that we see in God's word in the New Testament is a deep, radical devotion for the local church, for God's people. And you can see that in Acts chapter 11. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Acts 11. And as you turn there, this is such a, a, a every passage in scripture is amazing, but I love this passage in scripture because for the first time in, in the New Testament, since Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension back to heaven, people are trying to figure out, they're trying to categorize, they're trying to give a name to these, this random group of people who believe in this guy named Jesus and gather together, and they don't know what to call them. They don't know what name to give them. They're struggling to figure out, okay, what, what are the defining markers of this group of people, of this community? How many of you ever had a nickname or do have a nickname? Anybody in here? Okay, so a lot of you. So like you walk into the room and somebody says, that's the guy. And the other person's like, oh, that's the guy? No, yeah, that's the guy or that's the girl, uh, a nickname. So when, when uh, one of my sons was a little bit younger, Camden, we gave him the nickname of the eraser kid or the rock kid. And so if you know anything about Cannon, he's awesome. And a couple years ago, anywhere you saw him go, you would see his fist clenched like this. It wasn't because he was about to knock somebody out. It's because he had something precious in his hand that he didn't want to let go of. And it was one of two things. It was either an eraser, which he called them an erasers, because when he first asked, what is that? He said, it's an eraser, so an eraser, you know. So it was either an eraser or a rock. And he loves rocks so much that, we, you know, if we're out on the playground, the other kids are going down the slide or playing ball. Camden's picking rocks out of the ground and holding them, in, you know, in his fist, putting them in a bag. He would keep them, collect them. He loves those things. In fact, there was even one time right before Christmas, the kids weren't uh, quite obeying the way that they were supposed to. And so I did what every good dad does. I threatened them that if you don't straighten up, you're going to get coal in your stocking. To which Camden says, Daddy, what's coal? And I said, well, it's black rocks. And he's like, <gasps> please put coal in my stocking. Can I please have coal for Christmas? He's that kid. He's the rock kid. Well, when we come to Acts chapter 11, 
people are trying to figure out what do we call this group of people who follow Jesus together. And this is, this is what it says. I encourage you to read along. And, and this is, I love this passage of scripture. Verse 19, chapter 11, it says, Now those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen. So Stephen was one of the first deacons of the early church. He was martyred for his faith because he chose to be a stranger in exile. And they killed him for it. So persecution arises. Christians spread out. Uh, and they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. So this is who they're sharing the gospel with. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, those were Greek-speaking Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to the church at Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God he was glad and he exhorted or encouraged them all to remain faithful, it's important to the Lord, with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who we will find out becomes the apostle Paul later on. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. This is the important part. Here's what I want you to catch. I don't want you to miss this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, the first place that the disciples, students of Jesus, followers of Jesus, were first called Christians. So here's what's going on. All these people who've seen Jesus, they believe in him, they start to spread out, they start to share the good news of the gospel, others get saved. And this is what happens. When, when people come to Christ, they start to come together. God's people have always gathered together. We always unite together. Eric talked about that last night. And so the outside world is looking at this group of people and they don't know what to call them. They're from different ethnicities, so you can't talk about race. They have different languages, so you can't talk about language. They don't follow any known religion. There's nothing that defines them except one thing. This is really important, guys. The only thing that, that was similar between all these people who came together was that they looked like Jesus. So we don't know what else to call them except little Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. And here's one of the things I'm praying for you and praying for your generation that your generation would reclaim the United States what it means to actually be a Christian. Not just by the terms that we use in church, but by the way that you live and the way that you love and the way that you pursue people like Jesus. And so what made this group stand out was not, this is important, was not this individual over there and that individual over there's devotion to Jesus. It was their collective pursuit of Jesus alongside of one another. Strangers and exiles, they love the church. They love the people of God. They love the family faith. This is why we do impact with churches and church groups because we believe that we're called to do this in community with one another. So here's what I do. I wanna just give you three really quick defining marks of this early church, these Christians. And you can talk about these in your group this morning. And here's the question I want you to ask. Are these the three defining marks? Are they true of me? Are they growing in me? Am I helping the people around me in my church, in my student ministry, pursue these three things? So the early church was marked, one, by a radical devotion to Jesus that's marked by holiness. So they were characterized by a radical devotion to Jesus, little Christ, marked by holiness. In, in the verses here, it says that, that Barnabas came to them and he said he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What's he talking about? Remain faithful with steadfast purpose. Here's what he's talking about. He's saying, pursue holiness. Like what makes us stand out to the world and look like Jesus is that we pursue holiness like Jesus did. God said, be holy 
for I am holy. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Well, the way you do that, how do you love a holy, holy God with your all is you pursue holiness. And so one of the things that made this group of people stand out and got them this label was that they didn't pursue the things that the rest of the world was pursuing. They weren't getting drunk. They weren't pursuing prostitution. They weren't extorting one another. They weren't doing all those things. Their lives looked differently. And then a way they pursued holiness is that they loved the people that no one else loved. So they engaged the outcast. They engaged the widow. They engaged the orphan. They went to the sick. They loved the people that no one else would love because that's what Jesus does. They fight for holiness and purity, and they pursue people out of holiness and purity. So a radical devotion marked by holiness. Is your life, is my life, are our lives as a church, as a community, are they marked by a pursuit of holy living? Pursuing Jesus is gonna make you stand out. It's a pursuit of holiness. The second characteristic that we see of the early church all throughout the New Testament, but even here in this passage, is a radical commitment or devotion to the word of God. Marked by hunger. So not only we see holiness, but we see hunger. It says that, that Barnabas and Saul, that they were gathering with the people for a whole year. That's a pretty in-depth Bible study. In Acts chapter two, it said that the early church gathered day by day under the apostles' teaching. Like when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you want to know his word. If Jesus is your master, you want to obey his teaching, live the way he lived. The way we do that is through his word. And so the early church was marked by this hunger to know God's word, this hunger to understand this God's word, a hunger to live for God's word. Is a hunger for the word, is it growing and present in you? And guess what, guys and friends? Like the, the way a hunger for the word begins to grow in us is when we begin to pursue it alongside of others. We begin to read and learn from one another and learn from our teachers and grow and push one another. So hunger for the word marks you. And the third and the last mark I just mentioned, there's many, but that I just mentioned this morning, is a radical devotion to one another, marked by humility. And Pastor Eric talked about this on Friday night, that the gospel changes independence for dependence. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit, but also dependence upon God's people, one another. C.S. Lewis, a famous author, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not just beating yourself up or, oh, woe is me, or I'm bad. He said, no, no, humility is this. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of God more. It's thinking of others more. In the context of the church, it's thinking of our brothers and sisters in Christ more. We don't come to church to get something from people. We come to give. We don't come to church to get something for ourselves. We come to pursue. And you see this here as they were gathering day after day after day after day after through a year pursuing Jesus together. And those things, a pursuit of holiness, a hunger for the God's word, and a humility, understanding that I'm not my own. I need people outside of myself. Those three things are characterized in the life of Jesus, right? Radical holiness, hunger for the Father, deep humility, even though he was God. And so the watching world looks at this group of people and says, we don't know what to call you. The only thing that we can call you is little Christ, little Jesus. I'm praying that for you and for your generation, that as you choose to embrace the path of Jesus, as you choose to embrace the path of a stranger and an exile in this world, that you would recapture what it truly means to be a Christian. Not someone who attends church, not someone who affiliates with a certain type of religion, but someone who loves Jesus and loves the church in a way that stands out to the world around you. Can I pray for you this morning?
Father, I just pray these things would become true of us, and I pray that as we go into our groups that, that we would just be transparent and vulnerable. Lord, for me, these three things are areas that I fell in all the time, holiness and hunger and humility. I pray that you cultivate that in us alongside of one another, together, and that we would love the church like you love the church. The church is your bride. Help us to love your bride like you do. And I just pray for people in this room who they're not really a part of a church. They showed up with the group. They don't have a, a faith family that they belong to. That even this weekend that you would unite them to the people in their group and in their church so that they can pursue you. And I do pray that you would raise up a generation from this room and around this country who would live in such a way that the watching world looks at them and says, we don't like them, we don't know them, we don't get them. All we know about them is that their lives look like Jesus. Please do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.